This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 6. You're not winning as a strength coach by having the most hours in the weight room. You're losing. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, NSCA Head Strength and Conditioning Coach Scott Caulfield. With me today, my guest, Megan Young, Performance Coach at Auburn University for Women's Soccer. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad you made it in bright and early this morning on your uh, beyond red-eye flight. <laughs> yeah. But you're you're well caffeinated now. We've got some <laughs> strike force in you and you're ready to roll. Um, so talk to me first a little bit about your role and your um, title. College Performance Coach. I know there's some other titles that you go by. Um, talk a little bit about that and what you do at Auburn. Yeah, um, I guess titles are just a way of introductions. So depending on who I'm talking to, we use different terms just so that we know the common language we're speaking. So if I'm talking to sports scientists or people working in data analytics, machine learning, I'll use the, time, the title performance scientist. If I'm talking to strength coaches, I'm a strength coach. Um, when I talk to my athletes, I'm mega. So it, it just, to me, it's more about what you do than the title that you have. Um, and within that, I serve in handling all of our data collection, our data analytics, data visualization, and moving more into machine learning and forecasting models and neural networks and all those fun things that you think you're trying to understand. And that's really where kind of the forefront of data is going. And the same breath I handle um, the actual strength and conditioning for the program. So everything from in season to off season to assisting with recovery and also in utilization of, of sports medicine and working with sports medicine. Um, be it our athletic trainers or our physicians. Yeah, that's cool. And you guys have gotten a lot of, uh, you've gotten a lot more in depth with the performance science because it kind of because you're uh, you're good in it. You have a degree in it now. I mean, you've been inclined. Yeah. But how how has it been uh, getting like sport coaches and like buy-in from administrators and people that need to spend money on the stuff too? Has that been tricky or has it been a pretty smooth? transition um i think it it's like most initiatives when you're rolling it out if you have a good relationship going into trying to create something it's a lot smoother when everyone's communicating in the same language is on the same page so for for myself i mean this is my ninth year at auburn and my i've been with women's soccer the whole time so having the same head coach and having that um consistency of a strength coach for that many years is really uncommon in women's soccer um so i think greg gatz probably has me beat it in chapel hill but that's probably about it um and not and not that it's a competition but um i think that that it set the ground, foundational groundwork for us to move forward with some of these things was one can we figure out what matters to us and the nice thing in working in the sports science realm, performance science realm of soccer is there is so much technology. A lot of the research that you see done or the technology used starts at the highest level, if you will, of 
soccer in the EPL and um, then comes down and trickles down. So coaches are familiar with the language already because it's, it's inundated in their coaching industry. For sure. No, and soccer seems pretty in tune with uh, a little bit more of that information stuff. So uh, in your, so you have one master's degree in ex-phys, the other in uh, information data science. Yeah, information systems data, systems science. data science. So what, what made you say, oh man, that seems like a really, like, did you see it coming and like that's how you got into it or did someone kind of turn you on to it and you saw the application in strength and conditioning? Um, it, I would say it's more of just, it's not like I had some crystal ball and was like, oh, this is the way that the world is going to go. It's, I was interested. I've always liked logic and numbers. And so being able to paint a picture with those things and be able to look back because doesn't matter how good your coaching eye is, you do not remember every rep of every day. So how hard was yesterday? Well, unless we know that, we don't really know that. You can say, oh, it was hard. Well, was it this hard or was it 2% harder than that? So it's taking that coaching eye and not going against it, but really just validating it and narrowing its focus to say, where are we on the spectrum of intensity, volume, or whatever we're looking at? Um, so I'd say kind of from that perspective, I just wanted to be able to do what I saw the highest level teams doing. And I don't even mean EPL, I mean college football. So they were moving in the realm a couple years ago, starting to get heart rate monitors, starting to do force plate testing. You know, you had people getting into blood analysis, this type of thing. And then you saw the evolution of gyroscopes, accelerometry, GPS data. And now it's you know, everything under the gamut, under the sun of wanting to be tested and monitored and kind of this quantified self of the athlete to where it's coming full circle to where people are now actually starting to monitor less right. and figuring right. out what's most important. Um, I'm not saying I have those answers, Sure. just open to learning them. Yeah. So that's why I kind of went that route and data, I wanted to know without a doubt that when I had numbers in front of me, is the data set that I'm working with valid? Is it reliable? Am I collecting good data? Um, and is this something that we can continue to do and repeat this process, much like a research process, just in a practical setting? Yeah, and it's much, I mean, it's just like anything else, right? It's like, if you're gonna actually take that data and use it for something that's gonna make you better, and not just collect it for the sake of collecting it because then you've just got a bunch of numbers that you don't know what to do with. And I think it's a big thing for the athletes, you know, pro, college, whatever, um, is that is their data that is describing them and their work or their investment or their sleep or whatever the, the measure is. So giving them deliverables, visualizations, and action items off of those that's how you get the investment back from them to be compliant. If you're not giving them a return on their investment of answering these questionnaires, filling out these forms, peeing in this cup, you know, then why, why demand that of them if you're only doing it to look at it yourself? Right. Um, and the same for your head coaches, like, and your sport coaches. If it's not buy-in, buy-in's not the right term, right? It's now we've created a language to share and communicate with, and that's where you can move forward from. Yeah, 
And we kind of just talked about that earlier before we started recording and how buy-in, like, why do we even talk about buy-in, right? Like, yeah. is that even a thing or should it be a thing? I don't really think so. Like, I'm not really, why are you having to buy into something? To me, uh, the process seems wrong if we're having to sell the whole time. Right, right. Um, I also love the fact that your PhD is in adult education. So like you said, you were talking about, yeah, we've got this scientific stuff, we've got this data and information, but we're still coaching. We still have to coach, right? And so how has how your PhD in adult education helped you be a better coach? Yeah, well, and I'll say I'm PhD C. C, um, right. Yep. Coming Important soon. distinction <laughs> for the academics. Um, the... I think it, everything always goes back to people and relationships, whatever it is, whether we're talking coaching, life, whatever. And with that said, adult education really just gave me a different lens to look at an assessment of people. And my specific assessment was how they learn. And then where it's developed from that is understanding more into the emotional intelligence side. Um, and so that's it's exciting to see coaches like Brett Bartholomew put good books out there with practical examples of what coaches are seeing and dealing with. Um, so the more you can understand people, the more you understand situations. And so really that's what we deal with. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I just had uh, Lance Walker on the podcast uh, recently too. And he was talking about how he really wishes as a younger coach that he had invested more time in the EQ, the emotional quotient side of things, um, the people side of things and working on those skills. Um, but so if you're, you know, kind of up and coming in this field, um, you know, and especially, you know, I don't know if there's any difference to you but being coming up as a female strength and conditioning coach um you know what recommendations would you have to to uh you know megan young just getting started today that you might you know wish you had done differently or known about beforehand or is it across the board is it not just you know that way for females and males um i i definitely think that it's this is a there are more males in this industry. I'm not going to say it's male-driven. I think there's some very strong females driving the industry for it as well. Um, but you are always going to probably be in a situation where you're not working with more than maybe one female, if you're lucky, um, on your staff as a strength coach. So I think a big thing is being able to find support through a network. So you have, and I don't mean a shoulder to cry on, I mean other females to speak about specific situations and how to handle yourself. And the other piece, you know, if I'm looking back now, I'm thinking, wow, I would have a whole lot to learn. And it can be intimidating, right? Where do you start? You know, do you start with going all the way back and reading Super Training and Mel Sif? And having to digest that, do you start with like certifications? Do you start with practical knowledge? Do you go data science? Do you go PT? Like, what is it? Because there's so many different ways to present as a strength coach. Right. And the more I've been in this due to just time and circumstance, the more I see the need to identify your niche. Mm -hmm. Just like now, kids need to go know why did they want to go to college in their profession in like middle school. You know, we, right, I mean, right. I think we got to decide in college what yeah, we wanted right, to do. Right. Or change so, a couple times during college. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, don't be afraid to identify where you feel you're strongest 
and excel in that area and be great in that area without without the pride as a factor. Be great because of your technical ability or your follow through, your commitment and your passion and your soft skills. Yeah. Not just because you are a good whatever. Right. No, I think that's a huge part of creating that niche or your specialty, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, if I'm a head strength coach and I'm, you know, I know the certain traits that I uh, am good at, I'm not going to hire someone that has the exact same skill set and traits that I'm good at. I need to hire someone that covers my weaknesses to make me better. And so, and you know, maybe that's know. re-identifying the field a little too. Instead of bringing in people that have to know everything for one, for every sport, yeah. you have to know strength, you have to know conditioning, you have to know power, you have to know sports science. And in sports science, there's 20 different things to cover, right? right. Energy right. systems, force plates, you know, all wearable devices. Maybe the field should consider, when you look at like a pro setting, you have specific people for specific roles yeah so why not have an integrated approach where whatever it is you're great at you get to implement that for a majority of the team that it's going to build um or benefit so it's more of like a an industry we call it design thinking yeah so that collaborative collaboration across the board instead of it being my show right Right. And I think you're, I think we're seeing that in some probably more pro settings than others where you're getting you know a multitude of a team approach to whatever if you're gonna they want to call it high performance or strength and conditioning yeah. but with specific people in specific areas where they're where they're better at than others. And would you agree you probably see it a little more in football too yeah and that you do have five coaches that you can dispense in specific skill sets. And so I think the Olympic sports, basketballs included, could benefit from something similar of having everyone pour in their bucket instead of me pouring my whole bucket. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, You mentioned, you know, some of the building the network and like talk about a little bit about some of the people in your network and people that have influenced you, you know, uh, throughout your career? Uh, you know, that it's a really interesting question, right? Because it gives you the opportunity to give respect and credit to the people that you've learned from. And some of them I have never even met. Like Mel Sif is one of the biggest impacts on my life as a strength coach. And I was never able to meet him. But Super Training looks like a book I've torn through multiple times. So I feel like I know him. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of current, I'll talk in current terms because it's something that evolves as you're in this profession and not for right or wrong, but as you define a niche, there's different people that you want to spend your time focusing and learning from and or learning with. And for me, I, I don't think it's any one specific mentor um, or school or anything like that. I think it's just been a nice pour in of a lot of different people over time leading me to where I am now and so the people I look up to now are um, in different industries like a Tim Cook um, and those type of leaders and what they're able to do and what their initiatives are uh, that's something that you can bring back you know so for me maybe a couple of groups of doctors um, businessmen it doesn't just have to be a performance coach 
That's great. And since you mentioned the name, I'm going to bring it back up because it'll bring our previous conversation that listeners aren't privy to (laughs) to make sense. But uh, I asked, who do you think today in today's society is a really great leader and why? And so this is what this will now make sense to people. Yeah. um, I said Tim Cook when we were just sitting here talking and um, he he works for Apple, obviously, and if he's an Auburn graduate, which helps. He was actually on Auburn's campus last week. I didn't get to hear him speak. We had lifting groups, which, uh, you know, whatever you have to do. You have to do what you have to do. But at the same time, um, it was just released even this week about his initiative for health. And health is a major crisis in America um, and, and the world, let's be honest. So, And it's something that it's going to cost a lot of money to try and help solve some problems. And you don't know what the return on that investment will be, but it's still an initiative that he's trying to move forward with. And I think their idea there is um, everything behind the watch. So if your watch could help you as a sensor is kind of that lifeline. And when you look at different metrics being collected, even from Google when you're logging in right now or the predictive shopping of Amazon, all those things are to make it more of a user-friendly experience and a customized experience. And it comes back to like this quantified self. And so businesses are running massive amounts of data analytics on just you to customize your specific experience. So right now in like Apple Health, your data is all being collected, but you don't see any type of behavior change being pushed on you by that. Um, So I think that is the first step is collecting the data set of health of an American or health of an Apple user or Google user and driving that forward upon like, what are we seeing and how can we help? That's huge. If they can impact something like that, uh, you know, and across the board, I mean, yeah, the amount of people that you have potential to reach now is just incredible. So, yeah. Yeah. I, love, I like that choice. It's good. Um, and I wasn't really familiar with them before that, so mm. it's good to know. Yeah. So uh, last time you were out here, we are talking about health a little bit, <laughs> a couple years ago, actually. Mm-hmm came out for uh, the lifts course that you were part of developing. A few, you and a couple other coaches got up early in the morning, did the incline, which is uh, for people that haven't been to Colorado, it's a old cog railroad. It's a nine tenths of a mile long with 2000 feet of elevation gain. You crushed it, but you're also realizing you weren't feeling too hot uh, at that point. What happened kind of after that? Well, I don't know if I crushed it. I survived it. <laughs> hey, I got to the I'd top. I say of surviving it is crushing it because I've done it before and it's not fun. You know, there there was a gentleman on the course when we were working on it, and uh, he went up and down twice during my <laughs> session. So, a little something different there. Um, yeah, no, I came out here, and I, I knew if I was out here, I, I had to get a hold of a mountain. You know, I had to do something I couldn't do, and in my current location. So I told one of the other coaches about it, and she was like, oh, I'm going to do it with you. I was like, really? And thank God four or five coaches signed on for it because uh, if they weren't there, I don't know that I would have done the whole thing. I would like to think I would have. So after that, I yeah definitely had some fatigue, if you will, during the summer. And um, I ended up getting diagnosed in August with adrenal fatigue but that was just an underlying issue Uh, in September 
um, 16, 2015, I was diagnosed with leukemia. I was diagnosed with AML um, and, you know, was able to <laughs> achieve remission, but only through having the support of not just Auburn, not just my family, not just strength coaches, but just all of those people combined, plus some brilliant research at UAB in doing a clinical trial drug. Yeah, no, and I remember that, like, you know, when you let me know about it, and then that, yeah, that outpouring of strength coaches uh, from, you know, our buddy Adam Fight and, like, everybody else that he kind of rallied up. And then I know that the university and especially the women's soccer team just were so supportive to you. Like, I mean, how huge is that, you know, too, in the, like, is in the recovery process? Well, I think it's everything. Um, when you talk about a fight, when you talk about a struggle, anything like that, well, one, you don't realize realize who has your back until you're in something. Yeah. And so it's definitely humbling to be blown away like that. Uh, and not just in terms of money but and monetary support, but just the outpouring of even other college student-athletes getting on with this mega strong kind of theme yeah, yeah. that trended on Instagram. Right, right. And um, that was really special because it was something to look forward to. Um, and we were in the middle of soccer season, and that season we ended up having our best season yet until last year that we had our yeah. best season yet. <laughs> so uh, let's hope that trend keeps going. But it, I never had a bad day in terms of what my outlook was. Yeah. And that is surely because of my support circle right. um, from Adam Fight. Andrew Hootie, Melissa Terry has, you know, yeah. had my back since day one. So the, those people, when you have really strong people in your circle, Molly, Katie, you can you can handle some stuff. And uh, I'm glad to say that I'm moving on the other side of that. Right. Now, yeah, you just found out what that kind of another month and it's going to drop another yeah next week next, next week, week i dropped from a 40 percent chance of reoccurrence to 20 so that's awesome. a big one yeah that's awesome in february we went from 98 to 40 so yeah yep. going to 20 is great and that's 18 months of remissions so excellent awesome. so so psyched for you thank um, you how about um when we look at you know this profession, we talked about how great people are in supporting each other. Um, what do you think some of the real challenges are that we're facing as a profession now? Um, or you know, is there a biggest one? Is there one that we see, or is it like there's a couple that we really need to <laughs> figure out? I would say just the unification. Like, what is the what is our initiative? And what is our united front to move forward from high school all the way up to pro? And how can we come together? And our our whole career, we build a life on doing what's best for other people. What is best for our profession? What is best in moving forward? What what's best with talks with the NCAA? I don't have all those answers. I don't have the experience to speak on all the specific situations, but there has to be some people in the room that can start having those conversations to move us together. Yep. No, I agree 100%. The, it definitely has to be united. There can't be 
uh, fragmentation or fractioning, um, you know, because it is a profession and, and it's becoming taken more and more seriously, if you will, you know, by powers that be, um, by the hiring, by the administrators. So, and it only helps everybody in the long run. Oh yeah, and you talk about a saturated field and market with opportunity and cost not really balancing out. Um, so there's plenty of people ready standing in line to take that $30,000 entry-level job. Right. Why is it still $30,000? Right. Our value with a master's degree, experience, certification, whatever that may be, it has to be a higher minimum. Yeah. And to gain that from a business perspective is only going to happen when we're united. Yeah, no, I totally agree. There, um, so then this kind of leads me to another question about like strength and conditioning coaches from the profession is, is there a better way that we can evaluate strength coaches or do you, do you have a recommendation as to how they should be evaluated? It's a really tough question because it all depends on the relationship with the sport coaches as well and how either siloed or integrated a staff is. So in my specific situation, I would be fine being evaluated on performance outcomes of fitness, even honestly winning games in terms of do we have the healthiest players on the field at the end of the year. So have sports medicine, myself and our doctors, worked in even sports nutrition and sports psychology, worked in every area to try and achieve balance and that we're all doing the least effective dose for the most gain. Um, I think you can look at injury rates, but that's when it gets tricky if you don't have any influence or communication platform with the support staff of the, and the coaching staff. So, you know, if you're in the weight room only and you don't really know what's going on in practice, I would say start with knowing what's yeah. going on in practice. Yeah. No, I mean, it... It will be very hard if it's not an integrated system to to be able to be fair and equitable to people. And I don't have the like I, I ask that question to everybody, but I don't have a you know definitive answer that I would say either because right now it depends. Yeah, and a lot of it too is with you can say basketball, football, even baseball, right? The revenue earning sports; those coaches are with that coaching staff. And so that, that shows you how important relationships are. If you want a job, it's probably not gonna come from a strength coach. It's gonna come from knowing the head sport coach. That's kind of a myth among us. You know, you can help get noticed and get a resume in, but ultimately it's an administrator, it's a sport coach. Very rarely do strength coaches have a decision of hiring a basketball strength coach. Um, and there are some places where directors do have that, but I would say we've gone to a different model of where you are an extension of the coaching staff, which does offer you some advantages, but sure. the advantages have to, that opportunity cost has to weigh out in terms of salary, yep. contract negotiation, and time. Yeah. Yeah. And while well, speaking on unity and whatnot, we are working pretty closely with the CSCCA um, and Chuck Stegans and our executive director, Michael Masick, have been working together on a, 
a survey that they're going to send out to CSCCA members, we'll send out to NSCA members, we'll get back together, compare the data. Uh, we have a meeting set up in June with us, CSCCA, and then NCAA, Sports Science Institute folks, so to talk about kind of, you know, what we've just been talking about, you know, where the profession is heading, what, who, you know, who should report to who. So it, I hope, I really hope that when people, CSCCA members and NSCA members see this survey, that they take the time to fill it out because that their voice is the one that counts in this thing. Do we need to fill it out twice if we're members of both? <laughs> uh, I think you'll only need to fill it out once. Yeah, that's what I hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about you know you uh, you know you've worked with a bunch of different teams, you've been um, in different positions throughout your career and coming up on ten years here. What uh, are, are there any specific roadblocks that coaches need to work out, watch out for, and you know if so, like what are they? Stress, not managing it. Um, if your only outlet is working out, what are you going to do if that's taken away? So that you have to find value outside of your job. And that to me is, that's why I'm in Colorado right now. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it, and don't feel shame for it. Right. You're not winning as a strength coach by having the most hours in the weight room. Right. You're losing. Yeah. So if your only value is the time you commit Either you have a wrong value set or you're in the wrong place. Yeah. I like that. And I think it's I think there's a point in your career maybe when you don't know it any better than that. Oh so, absolutely. It's called right? being like, a grad assistant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I'm you're not just talking gonna, to you. <laughs> and uh and so that's all I'm gonna do, yeah. And uh And it's I'm not saying that you won't have to work harder for something, yeah. but just put an endpoint to it. Yeah and put some goals into it and some what are some action items for myself that I'm trying to check off by being in this position yeah. and it doesn't mean you remove work ethic and working hard it's just work smarter yeah, yeah. what's your main what's your number one thing outside of being a strength coach that you like to do that has nothing related to being a strength coach Anytime I can get a hold of a mountain or an ocean, that's where you find me. Nice. And I know you're a big food restaurant person. Did you look anything up yet in here in Colorado Springs? <laughs> uh, not in Colorado Springs, but um, I ate um, at, it's called Four Friends um, over in Denver. It was a great little spot. So, you know, if you're doing, if you can't have certain foods, it definitely can meet those requirements yeah, for yeah. you. Well, I know I always rely on just meeting up with you at CSCCA <laughs> or one of our conferences and uh, just going with wherever you're recommending. So. Yeah, I mean, I was going to your house for dinner tonight, <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of confused. No, we're going to do it right. Um, cool. Well, just wrapping up, I got a few more questions for you. These are my kind of um, different questions than a typical podcast, a little more fun. I just like to hear what people have to say and you know, it tells us a little bit more interesting stuff, but if you could name three people, living dead or fictional characters that you'd like to have dinner or uh, have drinks with, who would it be? Um, Albert Einstein, for sure. 
and just I want to understand what his personality was actually like. I'm not saying that I can hang with him <laughs> on the on theorems. Um, Mel Sif would be a really cool one still. And for a third, I'd probably have to say Amelia Earhart. Like, what happened? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. No. Uh, and Patrick McHenry, you know, lives here in Colorado. He was still like when he was up and coming as a strength coach. Mel Siff lived in Denver and used to do like these super training clinics at his house. Everybody would crash on the floor, like in the basement. Like, how cool is that? I mean, yeah. those would have been some amazing times to be part of. Yeah. Um, uh, how about your tasks with starting a new strength and conditioning program? Uh, and you have a limited budget. So again, I'm giving you an arbitrary number. I'm saying you can only pick three items. What are you going to start with? Three people. That's it. Yep. Invest. That's where our number one resource is lacking in the ability to have more people. Love it. Love it. People is where it's at. I agree 100%. And then this is my favorite one because I think we all wish we could have this ability. But if you had a magic wand, you could eliminate one coaching practice. What would it be? I think we've kind of talked about it a little. Um, just that if you were the head strength coach for a team and let's say that's your only team or you have two teams, don't fall into or let's remove the stigma that you can only be the person working with that team or that you have to be the everything for that team. It can still, a head coach has assistant coaches. Right. Right. I'd rather have 15 people with 15 different views and 15 different experiences be able to build into my 30 person roster that has 30 different views and ways of learning and thinking. So the more you can increase the diversity of the coaching in terms of language used, people, where they're from, their own experience, you win. Yeah, that's a good one. It's kind of like that cliche that right there's a difference between 20 years of experience and one year of experience repeated 20 times in a row. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, cool. What uh, what else do you got coming up here? You're uh, got some speaking gigs at some conferences in the next few months. Oh uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to be speaking at CSCCA a little bit more in depth about the emotional intelligence piece cool. of kind of the athletes. Everyone keeps calling them millennials, but you know. We've changed more so than they have. Absolutely. Um, And then I'll share a little bit of my own story with that um, as kind of even a tribute or a thank you to strength coaches. Cool. Um, And then moving forward, I'm just doing some of my own professional development this summer and hopefully graduating a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah, make sure you focus on that. That's awesome. Well, I'll see you at CSCCA anyway uh, because I'll be there. And um, How about people want to reach out to you? What's the best way? I know you're on social media. Yeah, yeah, they can reach out via email or social media. And um, I think my Twitter handle, is that still a thing? No. (laughs) I have no idea what my Twitter handle is, but you can find me on there. I think it's May 11, 384, but um, my email is 
Nice. Yeah, I think Instagram for me is where it's at now. I'm going yeah. straight. I'm sticking with Instagram. Yeah, those live videos, huh? <laughs> you got the Insta story. You got a chance to go live. There's just too much. How's your Snapchat game? Uh, I can't. I can't hang. I had too many going on. I had to. I had to pick one to cut, and Snapchat <laughs> got cut. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast and thanks for coming into town. Looking forward to hanging out for the next couple days. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for having me. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.